In a world with too much pop culture to consume, one man and one woman will argue about it until they get bored. It's an epic battle between obsession and indifference, and the winner will determine... Well, very little, actually. Eric Johnson and Emily Jones star in Giant Geek vs. Mega Noob. Whoever wins, we're still losers. Welcome to Giant Geek vs. Mega Noob, the podcast where we argue about something one of us is totally obsessed with. And the other has never even seen. I'm Eric Johnson. And I'm Emily Jones. If this is your first time listening, you can find more Giant Geek vs. Mega Noob at gvnpodcast.com. And you can find all of our past episodes on iTunes and Google Play Music. Today, we're reading the first half of Machine of Death. That sounds Ooh. sinister. An anthology of short stories collected by Ryan North and Matthew Bernardo. All of these stories take place in a world where people can put their fingers into a machine that takes a sample of their blood and receive a printed slip of paper that will tell them how they're going to die. That's quite a thing. Yeah. <laughs> and the machine is always right. I've never read it, so I don't know if I'm going to like this, and I have some serious questions about that, but I am dying to find out. <laughs> waka waka. As, as long-term listeners of the show know, we write the intros for one another, so since I'm the geek here, I wrote that intro for he Emily. He forced me to say that. And, and I, I, was, I was hoping that she wouldn't have the time to proofread and, and check what she was going to say before we started rolling, so yay, I win. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, th- this, this book is uh, it's a little weird. Uh, I'm not gonna lie. This is, this is a weird book. It sounds uh, a little weird. Yeah, um, so we're going to be reading just the first half of it for the sake of this podcast, um, and so that means the preface up through, and like I said, like you said, it's an anthology, short stories, so it's the preface up through the short story, Exhaustion from Having Sex with a Minor. That's so upsetting. Yeah. Um, I don't want to read about that death. Well, sorry, we're reading it. I mean, uh-huh. that's kind of the point of the show. <laughs> okay, but you realize that by choosing to end on that particular story, like you're you're setting this up to be like super creepy and unacceptable. Yeah, I know. I will. Okay. Fun time. <laughs> that's the halfway point. Anyway, um, it's a book, so go to your local bookstore or uh, Amazon or just buy it on Kindle. It's uh, much easier to find, I think, than, than your average uh, TV show when we're trying to tell people where to stream those. So <laughs> however you prefer to read. I think uh, you and I are both Library, are reading this on maybe? Kindle. Those are a thing. Oh, yeah. Libraries. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, go read the first half of this, preface through that story that I mentioned, and then come join us after the break. And, of course, remember, we're going to spoil all of those stories. Or oh, probably, yes. well, many of them. I don't know how many there are. But... I mean, The Machine of Death is just one big spoiler. It's just, you know, spoiler alert. That is alert. really, <laughs> really true. So, I mean, maybe if you're into this collection of stories, you're into having things spoiled for you. Yeah. Well, so, anyway, go find out for yourself if you're into <laughs> it. Then come back and join us for the discussion. back we've just read the first half of machine of death uh and before we get to what i thought of it eric why did you choose this for our podcast um so with machine of death this is i was so happy to revisit this book because (laughs) 
Um, this was a book that I got, I think, from, like, a Kickstarter campaign. Like, I think I, like, backed it, and this was just, like, a bonus reward oh, wow. for backing that. So it was a total serendipitous find for me. Like, it wasn't that anyone oh, had, Oh, you like, didn't said, back, like, the Machine of Death Kickstarter or whatever. You backed some other Kickstarter? I'm pretty sure it might have been, like, a card game or board game based on Machine of Death because I knew that Whoa. the creators of this, uh, Ryan North, who is one of the collectors of this anthology, He's the guy who does dinosaur comics. Did you now? Which I, guess, I discovered on on starting to read it and got like really excited. Like, holy shit! You didn't tell me this was a dinosaur comics creation. Yeah. Okay. So you know what dinosaur comics yes, is? I, I, I should explain for people is. who 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 don't know. Dinosaur comics is it's a long running web comic where they use this cheesy clip art of dinosaurs, and it's always the same art. It never changes, and you get different dialogue each time. And over years and years and years, uh, the guy who who writes it ha- has managed to done do some hilarious uh, comics, and one of them was this: is the dinosaur brainstorming, "Hey, what if there were a machine of death?" Anyway, this is a long way to saying that, um, much like dinosaur comics, I really love the idea of basically like like a really super extended, super ambitious writing prompt where basically you have this limitation that's imposed where this is the world that exists. This is how the machine works. Now just go for it. Take, take it in any direction that you want with this one common, you know, unit throughout all of it, which is just this, this piece of technology. And so, um, I just, I love the fact that rather than this being, you know, Oh, an overarching story about how the machine was made and having one author's voice that we get so many different perspectives. Um, I think this is one of the books, one of those books that just like with that constraint in mind, it benefits so much from being an anthology. And I I think, you know, um, I, I just really enjoy the creativity just throughout all of it. Yeah, no, I would agree that it that the fact that it's an anthology is really, really strong because like. I can't tell you how many times I wrote down in the course of reading this, like, uh, like, oh, shit. Yeah. Humanity would totally take this in that direction. Yeah. But it was in so many different directions that it was the kind of thing that, like, would take a bunch of different authors to think about, like, oh, my God, teenagers would absolutely, <laughs> like, make a make a, you know, internal high school hierarchy out of like how exciting your death was i wrote that down too how you know, the, like the cool would... kids were the burners drowners crashers live wires and fallers whereas the dorks were sickness and old age right basically <laughs> and the, basically all your i think it even said like random accidentals was like yeah a free, yeah um or you know uh, like just the idea of like there were a couple different ones that mentioned you know that it became a political issue you yeah. know, in one there, there was one where it just sort of mentioned in passing that like all politicians like have to reveal theirs now. And then in the, the very last one that I was so apprehensive about, uh, yeah. the rightfully from so having I sex mean... with a minor, although uh, not it ended up not being as bad as I thought. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think <laughs> it th- doesn't actually happen. So. This, this book very much, I think, plays with sort of your um, you're having read the title as a way of setting expectations. Oh, yeah. Or or anti-expectations which i can get into but sorry you're about to say with politicians um right it's like you know what if this thing existed absolutely we would we humanity would turn it into a political thing you know or all of those kinds of things that that again it would probably take multiple authors to think of i will say i'm glad it was an anthology and like that i i totally agree like that's the right thing the the one thing I will say is that like there is a downside to an anthology too, okay. which is um, 
I I at least found that and I mean this this happens with literally every short story collection. <laughs> and even even when like it's a short story collection that's all like famous celebrated authors like uh you know you're not always going to like their short stories. For instance, like Pushkin is considered like the master of the short story. I fucking hate Pushkin short stories. They're all like they all irritate me because they're all like long, you know, long joke setups to like uh ah gotcha ironic twist at the end and it's just like <laughs> oh my god you know like you need to stop you know i don't think i've ever read a pushkin short story so so maybe we need to do a spin-off podcast which is giant hater versus mega <laughs> we've mentioned that's like that's like the second or third time that's come up yeah <laughs> um but anyway the uh you know, so so that's the thing that happens, like, even when they're not, like, you know, crowdsourced stories from the Internet or whatever. Uh, but I definitely did find myself, like, getting annoyed with with the writing on some of them or just, like, finding that some of them, the, the okay. quality I didn't think was, like. Like, were there any in particular that, that were sort of, you know, bothersome, I guess? The first one, actually, like, I was like, oh, I mean, on the one hand, my rea- my initial reaction to the first one, well, I had mixed a mixed reaction to it. Wait, one, we, this is Flaming Marshmallow, the one about the teenagers. Yes, my, Flaming Marshmallow, the first one about teenagers. Um, and it was on the one hand, it was very much like in terms of premise, this is super realistic to like what teenagers would do because of course teenagers would turn it into a way to socially stratify themselves. And of course they would, you know, the coolest ones would be the, like the dangerous ones because Mm -hmm. live fast, live fast, die young teenagers, all of it. Uh, but on the other hand, like, I was like, God, I really, I thought that that was such a well thought out premise that I just wish was like, I just wish it was written better. You know, like they just kept saying, they say effing all the time. Like it's effing this and effing that written that way. Not like, you know what I mean? Right. right, In a way that like no one actually talks. And I understand that sometimes when you're like create, trying to create a world, you create a way the characters talk like Joss Whedon does or whatever. But it felt more like it felt it felt more like something that a high schooler or early college student wrote for their creative writing class and like <laughs> maybe needs to go through a couple rounds of workshops. Do you know what I mean? So well, yeah, it was so like it was like an needed... idea that was really strong, but like I just felt like the the writing felt felt I don't know off young. But, I mean, the good thing about the anthology is that if one piece of writing feels off, it's over very quickly, and then you're on to right. the next one. Oh, it's totally, totally. <laughs> and, I mean, no, no, no. I And I should say, you know, I, I enjoy this very much. I mean, it was a lot to read, like, all at once because it's it – It's kind of heavy at times. It can get pretty morbid <laughs> and heavy at times, although sometimes it gets really fun, which is an interesting thing. Yeah, well, um, I mean, back to the, the the thing about, like, the titles of the short stories being <laughs> a part of the thing. The first time that I saw the title, uh, HIV Infection from Machine of Death Needle, <laughs> and the whole oh, yeah. story is, well, that sucks. <laughs> I know, I thought it was going to get so heavy, and then it was like, wait, no, actually, that was, like, kind of the lightest, and I hate to say it, but almost funniest of the <laughs> I, I I was dying of laughter, I know. so to speak, you know. I, uh, I was falling out of my chair when I saw that one for the first time. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. Well, and it's also, like, I'm glad it's in there too, though, because, like, even though several of the stories mentioned the needle changing out and the sterilization and all of that kind of stuff, like, mm-hmm. that's also one of the first things I thought of, was like, oh my god, these are just automated machines that are pricking people, and, you know, many stories set them up in different ways, but again, 
to some extent your your way of thinking gets shaped by the first one and in the first one it's like a kiosk in the mall right and i'm just like oh my god malls are so gross <laughs> like i can't think of a mall even the nicest swankiest mall is not not gross like all malls are gross yeah and especially like any any like commonly used area of a mall like any you know i'm picturing it like being there with like the photo booth and the little automated you know uh little plane ride that (laughs) right it on and everything put put a quarter in (laughs) right that like my mother wouldn't let me go on as a child because she thought they were so gross and unsanitary and it's just like oh my god i can't believe people are like pricking their fingers with an automated thing that i'm picturing like a photo booth in the mall i as someone who went to a lot of uh like uh arcades back when video game arcades oh, were ew, thing, ew, so sticky th- those are so gross like i remember oh. like you know my, my mom would be always be ready with like the hand wipes like you know okay you need three three wet wipes after this because that is disgusting you yeah know? <laughs> no another place that i was i mean not universally like if somebody's birthday party was there i was allowed to go but the not being allowed in arcades was definitely <laughs> not restricted to the anti-video game bent that we've already established <laughs> in my house. There was a strong element of, nope, that's just too gross. Yeah, Like, that's just a too gross place to be. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I'm glad that there was a story that addressed that entertainingly. Um, so, so back to your earlier point about, like, uh, well, you know, how will this affect teenagers and how will this affect, you know, these different groups? Um, like, that's another thing that I that – I, um, I'm, I'm really into especially on rereading this of kind of i was taking just a lot of notes about like okay here's how insurance was affected by it here's how religion was affected by it here's how right. you know suicide groups suicide help groups were affected by it you know um and in one of the stories there's like this really chilling line where it's like you know these people aren't going to attempt suicide they're going to die of suicide i'm just like oh shit like there's that, that's such a horrible like way of uh, uh, such a horrible sense of certainty you know or or you know there's there's um i think there's a story that yeah in the first half here in the in the story firing squad where the guy says like oh i have emphysema i don't have it now but i'm going to have it in the future that's what because i know that's what i'm gonna die from right but that's so much less bad than like at some point something you know and, and another story i don't remember which one mentioned that that looming dread of knowing you're going to die of suicide but being like not knowing like at what point or what the thing or combination of things is going to be that like weighs on your life so heavily that you're like, I can't take it anymore. Yeah. And that also like some of the ones that touched on suicide also got at something that a lot of them got into that I found really, really interesting in a thought experimenty kind of way, which is like the extent to which some of them were sort of self-fulfilling prophecies. Exactly. You know, um, which is always a fascinating thing to look at, the idea of the self-fulfilling prophecy. Where you, you're told that you're you're going to, you know, die in a skydiving accident. So does that make you more or less, you know, interested in skydiving? Do, do you, you know, or... I, yeah, I know what it is. There's this one where it's... I think it's in the piano short story, maybe. Um, the one where the guy becomes a pilot, where he's saying, like, oh, right. yeah, there's, there's like, 20 guys named Crash. Because they're, they're, they all nicknamed Crash because they all got Crash as their machine of death predictions. And, like, that's, like, the macho thing for them to do is become pilots. Right. It's, know? like, so badass to go up in a plane every day knowing that, like, one day that plane is going to crash. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or, well, in terms of self-fulfilling prophecy, I mean, again, the suicide one is sort of is sort of the almost plainest. It's, like, yeah, that's got to fill you with so much, like, dread and despair and, like, 
there's an extent to which you wonder, like, if you didn't have that weighing on you, like, would you ultimately be driven to suicide or not? You know, like, how does it, like, does does the fact of getting that result from the machine make the result inevitable? You know, again, that's right. literally what a self-fulfilling prophecy is. Um, but no, so there was definitely, there was a, definitely a lot of fun, um, a lot of fun thought experimentation and form experimentation. Also, I really liked the one, uh, it's, it's lengthier, but reminiscent of the, the famed six word Hemingway mm-hmm. story, yeah. um, uh, for sale, baby shoes never worn. Uh, the one uh, love ad nauseum that's just like a series, yeah. a series personal of, per- ads. of personal ads. Yeah, and it's like you can tell, you can tell like what her intervening relationships have been based on the how she changes her criteria. <laughs> Health minded, single white female, thirty eight, seeks same, never married, single male, twenty one to sixty, study employment a must, no overdose, alcoholism, infectious disease, or jealous ex wives. Right, and the previous one didn't have jealous ex-wives, so right, like you exactly. know that the jealous ex-wife, you know, and it, it, they they build on each other like that, and then you also see her sort of come to terms with it, and also her age, the age range that she's seeking keeps expanding, and yeah, yeah no, like <laughs> I I really love that one too because it was just like the more you read it, the more there is to delve into, like, oh my god, what what are the holes between these personal ads? Yeah, I mean, like, the first time I read this book, I think my favorite story was Almond, which is the one where the guy is oh, taking yeah. all the, the journal entries and all of that, um, which is which is still one of my favorites in the book. But on the second reading, it did distract me a little bit because his writing is so, like, thoughtful and so, like, his thoughts are so complete as opposed to things like Love Ad Nauseam where it sounds more like, you know, okay, in this universe, this is how someone actually – Right. behaves in their you know in, in their writing um so, so you know not, not to say though that almond is not great because because it is great it's no uh, i enjoyed that one and actually found myself wondering and and i guess i can all i can see why it wasn't first because they didn't want to put them in mm-hmm. chronological order it seems like but that was something i found myself wondering as i was reading it was like wait this would have been a great first one because it shows the the development of this idea that again has already been established in the preface that you know, the machine is always right, but it's cryptic and like seems to have a little bit of a twisted sense of humor. Yeah. You know, but it was really interesting to watch someone actually discover that rather than have it be a given, which it seems to be for most of the other stories. Well, it's kind of the whole dramatic irony thing. If you know going in that the machine is always right and the character doubting the machine's veracity, you're kind of going, oh, you poor, you know, poor soul. Like you, you're, <laughs> you're, you're spending all this ink and all this time, you know, being like, oh, I wonder I wonder why, the, you know, the woman got run over by someone named Joy instead of being killed by literal Joy, you know, like. Right. Well, but um, have it. Yeah, no, watching him figure that out was really was really interesting. Yeah. Um. um Sorry, so were there any others that were kind of like the, uh, the I don't know, we only read half the book, but like kind of the book-defining stories for you, the ones that were like, oh, that one, you know? Unfortunately, I think the ones that I, like, a lot of the ones that I responded to the most are the ones that I wrote the least down about um, <laughs> because I was, like, engrossed in reading them. So, for instance... Uh, the one called suicide it comes between actually yeah. both both despair and suicide despair um, is the one with the doctors right yes okay yes and that i mean talk about a really fascinating thought experiment like that that one i was perhaps the most 
most engrossing and certainly obvious for obvious reasons delved the most into ethics of all of it. And it was like, yeah. that was a really fascinating little wrinkle of like, how, how would this thing affect medical practice? And it mm-hmm. was like, of course, you know, doctors swear an oath to do no harm. So of course that would extend to, you know, not, not doing anything that seemed like it would precipitate someone's, Right. Predetermined cause of death, except also like it's so vague that you have to wonder like by tests, does it mean not doing the tests exactly. or the fact that it could potentially be a test for the doctor and these people die by way of being part of a test for the doctors. Like, kind of the whole mantra of do no harm is predicated on a certain level of uncertainty of not being able to totally control the situation. Whereas if you know too much, then you then then you have this like dilemma that you didn't have before right well and it's all it's it's like a combination of knowing too much and knowing too little because it's like they know what's going to kill the person but also then sometimes it's something as cryptic as tests and it's like to some extent that makes those that means those doctors in several ways are like flying more blind than you know doctors have been accustomed to in a very 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 long while <laughs> yeah i wrote down a note from that that story it was the the narrator who's a doctor saying that you know before the machine death was our enemy and if you can't point to your enemy your crusade is noble and like the whole idea of like after the machine like you know right. they're ju- they're just like doing doing what they can but they're they're no longer you know they can no longer consider themselves sort of above you know uh, above death and the the competition there, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. They're they're losing to it. Exactly. Um, Although it does create like I also found myself wondering, especially in the ones that featured cancer prominently, like mm-hmm. so many people like successfully beat cancer only to relapse and and die of can and die of cancer later, or die of yeah. it sometimes the third or fourth time that it comes back. Which then raises the question for me, though, of like, and none of the stories that we read really got into it. I think it mostly just got me thinking about it. It's like, if you had this thing and it told you that you were going to die of cancer, does that mean when you get a cancer diagnosis? And and I mean, we saw some people, you know, still fight their cancer diagnoses. So obviously this isn't the case for everyone. But you could see that making someone go like, oh, well, I just got cancer and the machine told me I was going to die of cancer. So, like, I guess this is my death sentence. And it's like, well, not necessarily, though. Like, the first time you're diagnosed with breast cancer in your 40s, -hmm. you know, doesn't mean that you're going to die of it right then and doesn't mean that it's not worth fighting it because, like, you know, I mean, obviously it's hell while you're fighting it, but then you could recover and you could live another five ten whoever knows how many years i mean you don't even know if it's going to be breast cancer like that is getting at one of the most interesting sentences i think in in all of the stories that we read it's in this story i think it's in exploded the one that's kind of about the invention of the machine and Uh uh you know um how it actually got developed and released into the world and um it's talking about how um you can prolong most of the machine's predictions right. it says none of the deaths it predicts are avoidable but almost all of them are postponable almost right and it's Which like you can like... you can put off dying from cancer but right. i mean just like just like with cancer now uh you know yeah. it, it's it's it just adds another piece into the complicated calculus of whether you fight it how much you fight it how you fight it how long you go on fighting it before you decide that it's 
the, the balance has tipped and the fighting is ruining your quality of life and you need to just go with the best quality life you can have while you still have life. Yeah, no, it, exactly. just, it, add, it adds another factor in, which I have to say, speaking of cancer, ugh, yeah. I hate that we're having a discussion that involves the phrase speaking of cancer. I know. Um, but the second one that was called cancer, I found myself really frustrated with. The one, the one with the dad and who's going yeah. to the, yeah. Yeah, because it was like, and especially like the way it started out, I was hoping that it would delve into some of those questions that I was just talking about mm-hmm. and like into that, into, you know, how the death machine prediction factors into that already extremely complicated and fraught calculus right. of like, right everything that I just mentioned about, about this dealing is not with necessarily the end from the first diagnosis and yeah. All that. Well, right. Exactly. And, and again, as I just said, you know, when you, when you decide that, that the treatment is no longer worth it and is making it worse than the cancer, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. And you know, w- with the exception of like, of like a few references here and there, especially from like the healers and stuff, which, Oh, and that was another case where I was like, Oh my God, of course humanity would totally, respond to this also with like a charismatic potentially charlatan preacher dude totally um well so there's there's that guy who's sort of the charlatan like right and then there's like the healer kid the faith healer and you know that the faith healers are like a real thing right oh of course i know that yes yeah like 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 well both of of those types of people are real things well right no but like the specific thing they're describing about like oh he reaches inside you and he feels what's wrong and he pulls it out like that's like an actual type of like predatory sleight of hand oh that, yeah that's that's like it's so i mean i i get that it's also frustrating and to a lot of people where you have someone who's like preaching you know whatever who's trying to use religion to make someone you know give them their money obviously that's that's its own separate level of like yuckiness oh but that but false, like, no the false hope thing too like yeah the idea of, of, idea of this being a magic trick of being a faith healer for that that bothers me so much more because it's it's such a it's a physical promise not a not a mental one it's not a mental right. one of oh i can say something to give you hope and make things better while you're here it's like you know this whole idea of like I will I will physically fix you in a way that medicine can't. You know right, and people and people have been you know prosecuted for attempting to ha- to heal their children in that way yeah. as opposed to giving them medicine. But no, anyway, uh, what I was driving at though with that story, we got off yeah, on sorry, a little bit of a tangent though. Was tangent. no, no, no. I there's a lot going on in this in this yeah. anthology. <laughs> uh, no, what I was driving at though with that was I was really frustrated that that story didn't engage with engage more with how the machine of death altered those dynamics. Yeah. You know, I felt like with the exception of, of a few references. And I mean, I know that people were like smashing the machine of death and, you know, the kids started to see some value in that charismatic preacher guy kind of freeing people. It's like, yeah, but I feel like there are plenty of analogs to that Mm -hmm. in the light, in the world we already have. And like it all, it, it felt like a, it felt like a not machine of death related, you know, cancer and faith healing narrative kind of almost shoehorned into the premise. Well, so not, he, not shoehorned th- into the premise, but I just I just felt that I found myself frustrated that the machine of death premise didn't inform that more. And it this felt is to me that, like a story that could be written without the premise, I guess. And that I think I, to, I will say in defense of that story and others in this book, I think that's kind of the point, because if I can go in a little bit, a little bit of a, a tangent here. No, go for it. I live in Silicon Valley, center of all this technical activity that's been, you know, changing stuff uh, for better or for worse. Mm-hmm. And um, 
on my second reading of this book, it really sunk in to me how much it is just a metaphor for any technology. Any technology that can reach a large enough scale of people. That's a good point. You know, so you think about the fact that, oh, right, your phone has a camera or two cameras or now three cameras on it now. Like, how much that has changed everything. Well, the new iPhones have two on the back and one on the front, so three cameras. I know. Why are there two on the back? It's like for better pictures. It's like... (sighs) Yeah. Anyway. I don't understand iPhone. Stuff like that. You can have one invention like that. A phone camera can just change entire industries and change, you know, relationships and just everything. And then you consider the fact that we are on this constant pace of, like, having lots and lots of those sorts of inventions going on. And so, for me on the second reading, it's just, like, it really sunk in that all of these different takes on how this one piece of technology changes like existing societal structures like just just reading this as a metaphor for 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 all technology and i think it really encouraged me it it was i thought it was a uh invitation that i didn't notice the first time around an invitation to to meditate on like real technology stuff that actually exists in the world and the both good and often bad influence results that that can have you know like i was i wrote down in my notes here you know a very relatively small number of people in the world are actually on twitter and use twitter every day but the entire world has been permanently affected by the existence of twitter you know stuff like that you know, I, I I don't know. This I, this is a long tangent, but I just kind of no like, no no. Um, I, I follow you, and I think and I think that's true probably for for some stories more than others. Like there's some that lean really really hard on like the kind of philosophical and human implications of like what would it actually do to people if they knew how they were going to die. Yeah. Um. And uh, there are others. Yeah. That I think that deal much more with like, as you're talking about, like the way that a major like sea change technology like this can just sort of change the sure. I mean, fabric there, of there are society. some that are just like character stories so like one of my favorites is torn apart and devoured by lions oh my god yes which I, is, that guy is is awesome which which is just that one's so nice to have in there because it's someone finding a positive spin on, on so death. into lions yeah <laughs> what's his last line like come to me my pretties or something like something that. like that yeah no so great and so you know that that's more of like a story just about a character who's reacting and it's not about a universal you know human experience or anything but i do think like in every one of these stories to some varying degree small or big there there is something so in that story you have like here's how the machine is affecting the insurance industry and his boss is saying right. like hey we're in the uncertainty business here this kind of sucks for us you know <laughs> um so anyway that, that, right. that was just kind of my, my my big like you know aha which is probably more obvious to other people than it was to me you know who <laughs> um from, from no 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 reading. i'm i i follow you and i'm on board with that um just while we're while we're just throwing out ones that we enjoyed um i really i also really liked uh fudge yeah. Which is the second one because it's so and, and again, that's that's one also. I mean, obviously, it's it's much more specifically about the machine of death. But while we're talking about, you know, some of the universality to some of this, like I feel like I feel like there's an extent to which I've read that that story before. But it was fun right. to read it in this in this regard, that si- similar concept of like the way that some little thing can completely against your will irreparably change like your relationship to a person or like yeah. 
can the, you know for it's people like, who, who it's, in case people don't remember this is the one where the guy gets the slip that says love and he's meeting right. up with his girlfriend in the mall and, he, and, he's, and he's like he's, and he's like oh well screw that like for you know forget it and he crumbles up and up and throws it away and he's like i don't care about this i'm just i'm not gonna and then his girlfriend shows up and, you know, kisses him and he ha- feels this shudder. And it's just yeah. like, ah, see, it's like a poison pill for, you know, that relationship and probably all future relationships this guy might ever have. Like he can't unread right. it. He can't unsee it. He can't unknow it. And it's going to like forever change what was already like a happy guy. Like, yeah, no, that's. And again, I feel like I've read that story like a million different ways. And yet it's still so good because it's so like. It's, I don't know, it's such a human interaction thing. Also, okay, I'm going to need your help on this one because literally all I have written down is, ooh, that's good. Uh, um, the, <laughs> the one that's called Suicide. They're, they're, okay, so that's the Between one Between Despair and Almond. The, the, yeah, so that's the one where the kid buys the gun intending to kill himself. He goes oh. to the mall, Machine of Death, and uh, he the dies girl by gets... somebody else's suicide. Exactly the explosion, right? Because he's trying to he's trying to uh, change the he's trying to prove the machine wrong by killing someone who wasn't fated to die by gunshot. Right. But then he ends up dying via someone else's suicide. Right. Because the yeah. slip said suicide, just not his own. Right. Um. And and that one also has a lot of great kind of little world building details, like this one that I that I wrote down, which is. There was always a bar within walking distance of these places without fail or a liquor store. They were like remoras feeding from the belly of the death machine wherever it sprang up. Just kind of this whole idea yes. of like, oh, right. It's, I mean, we've been saying this a couple times, but like things like that seem so obvious once you've read them. It's like, of course, people yeah, are getting completely hammered. That. But like it really takes, you know, a lot of a lot of thought to really get to get to the point of imagining the world right. where like yeah you know, of course the number of bars would go up tenfold you know if this machine existed so right anyway. and that was something i liked also about um oh not waving but drowning which was really just yeah sort of beautiful and weird and interesting and you know it was a lot more there was a lot more like super explicit world building in that one like she just very much like laid out I, I don't even know if it ever said it was a she. I, w- I just tend to assume that first person narrators are. Like, no. <laughs> I think I think it was. I, I think um, it was. But anyway, like, you know, she she just really uh, she she mostly just kind of described the world a lot. You know, though it's not like it was mm-hmm. particularly subtle world building, but there was it was something that like clearly like so, so, so much thought had gone into it. And again, so many things. I think that was the one that talked about politicians now just like. Ha- you know all reveal their results and it talked about like the di- the different dynamics in yeah s- like celebrity yeah, here, here gossip I, I found you know? it famous people's tickets always get out someone they right. told will tell the tabloid pages of her they pay a lot of money for famous tickets politicians have to disclose it one guy who was running for governor in tennessee faked his his really said shot by a hooker and he got it to read <laughs> stroke exactly right right so lots of lots of little things like that that again were like Yes, like absolutely. That one also mentions that um cuz that's one that's one where it's sort of doled out to everyone when they're freshmen in high school. Mm-hmm. Uh and um it mentions that like for a while there all the kids were getting getting drunk and high beforehand and so then yep. now the school like does a sobriety <laughs> test and it's again, of course, freshmen in high school <laughs> knowing that this big thing was coming would totally like get high that day before school. Yep. That one also inc- and another like a great sentence but also a really good point that one made was 
Uh, she said, it's hard to decide what you want to do with your life until you know how it's going to end. Yeah. Talking about like how like no one in her world like really can or tries to answer like, what do you want to be when you grow up until they're mm-hmm. freshmen in high school and they get their answer of how they're going to die. Like that's so fascinating. Yeah. And supporting my uh, my whole general metaphor for the technology thing, that's the same story where it says, um, my grandpa has never taken the test. He says it's wrong to know and that the whole human race is going to descend into mediocrity because of it. He talks like that a lot, which is just <laughs> like, you could transpose so, that into anyone's grandpa at any time oh, period. Oh, we got trouble <laughs> right here in River City. <laughs> call back. M and it rhymes with, I don't know, I give up. Good call Something back. about machine of death. Yeah. <laughs> um, capital T, and that rhymes with D, and it stands for death. Whatever. Um, I'm going to give up now. Uh, yeah. But no, again, yeah, no, that is that is such a timeless argument. But yeah, that one also had lots of little, like, little, like, casual references to, like, back when people used to drive gar- cars with gas. Right. And, the, well, and that kind of thing. And also, like... that one is the most explicitly set in our own world, because you know that the the poem that uh, the Machine of Death's prediction is coming from, the, the Not Waving by Drowning, that's a real poem, and she's talking about a real author who really did die of a brain tumor in the 70s. Right, and it's also, like, set some at some point in our future because right. she mentions that the author is... Well, I guess she says the author is older than her parents, which doesn't actually have to be that far in the future. The poem people... was kind of famous, but pretty old, older than my parents. So that means the parents would be di- born sometime after the 70s. So it could be. Right, which yeah. is not that far in the future for somebody born in the... Or it actually could be now for somebody right. in the future, for somebody born in, the, in or around the 70s to have a child who's a freshman. Anyway. Yeah. <sighs> that was a lot of math. Yeah. That's a good, that's, that's a good one. I mean, I... I yeah, yeah, I enjoyed I that want... one a lot. And I liked that it was like... It was nice. It was after so many that had like death phrases that you would think of it was nice to have that poetic one definitely there's, there's another one that i won't spoil but that's that's later on in the um in the second half of the book which i think is uh beautiful and touching and, and unexpected in a very similar way maybe without quite as much world building but still um you know mm. there's, there's, there's more of those interesting good to know um one of my favorites in the overall book even though not part of the half we read right um shall we talk about exhausted from having sex with a minor yeah i actually liked that one um a fair amount yeah uh especially the the like little sort of twist at the end that like he's still a minor himself yeah (laughs) um or i think he just turned 18 or something like that i think it said he's yeah well either way like you know because because he's like a politician and he's running for prime minister so you're picturing like a middle-aged dude Mm -hmm. you know and then it turns out he's like oh well you're gonna be the youngest prime minister in history and then it's like you know, he was elected to parliament when he was 14. And it's like, well, wait a second. Like, yeah, <laughs> at at your current age, that might not even be a crime when you die of it. Because, like, if you're still a minor, like, you know. Yeah. But, but and also, it... I found myself wondering, too, and we didn't end up seeing how that guy dies. But I also right. found myself wondering, like, because he was so he, it was clearly informing all of his life. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and especially when he was still keeping keeping it a secret, I found myself wondering, like, is this going to be one of those weirdly worded ones? And he's like going to somehow somehow die from the exhaustion of avoiding it and keeping the secret as opposed to as opposed to like was again like you picture it, the the implication is like some old guy and his heart gives out like right. while he's having sex with an underage girl. Right. And so he was so paranoid about avoiding it that like, again, I was, I was 
in that wondering if the, it was going to be like a sort of ironic twist that it was the exhaustion of avoiding that as opposed to. And, and that's kind of, I think, one of the big things about this book is that through the titles of the stories and then from just you knowing the premise, I mean, it really gets into your head. It makes you second guess everything, oh, you yeah. know? Um, so like one of the ones that I, I enjoy, although I kind of saw the, the twist, so to speak, coming was starvation. Like that one where, you know, we're going through this excruciating oh, long story about this guy ending and, and the fact the the twist there being that, you know, he survives. So therefore he's going to have to starve all over again. Like I, I saw- actually wrote, this is the best one after reading that. Um, yeah. now I hadn't read all of the ones that came after it. So I'm not sure I stand by that superlative, but I really, yeah. I mean that that one really, that one's really the, I think the hardest to read. I mean that that one's just so excruciating and really oh. goes into such detail, and just the gut punch uh, at the end there. That he's just... gonna have to starve to death again, essentially. Right. Because right, exactly. he he practically already did. Yeah. Well, and the thing is too, he's gonna spend his whole life like just kind of waiting for that to happen, and like it could be an old age. Like that's the thing right. is that's that's something that happens sometimes. Just. Like when people get really, really old and sickly is they just sort of they sort of start refusing to eat. Mm-hmm. Not consciously. It's just like they just don't want to anymore. And then like right. it's a terrible, horrible way to die just kind of in old age. But like, oh, my God, this poor guy has already starved to death once. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, so the, the, there's so many things like that where, you know, when the title of the story or just, you know, just. I guess kind of similar to the way that the people in the stories know a little bit, but not quite enough. I mean, just just the right. little little bit of knowledge that you can glean just from kind being of almost an active, makes things worse, right? From from being a reader, you're you're almost like getting yourself into the heads of the people and getting yourself into the uncertainty that they are experiencing in a way that's I think extremely it's visceral. Um, and it's yeah. And fascinating. There's so and, much and like, enjoyable sometimes. <laughs> sometimes there's so much to think about. It's, yeah. Yeah. Um, so overall, I mean, it sounds like you you got into this. Would you, would you say you enjoyed it? Oh yeah, I definitely enjoyed it. Um, I I mean, I don't know that I'm gonna like, you know, turn off the turn off my recorder from recording this podcast and go finish reading it because it's a lot. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's 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 a lot to get deal with. <laughs> it's 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 a lot. Yeah. So like, I might need like a little bit of just kind of a like a, a psychic break. <laughs> <laughs> go watch thinking, some crazy ex girlfriend or something. From thinking yeah. about death. Yeah. yeah. But um, no. I mean, I yeah, I really enjoyed it. It's a really interesting. Uh, just such a fascinating premise that obviously as, as demonstrated by this, like can go in so many directions. Yeah. And what and did I they think... say? They have 600 something entries. Like it can go in way more directions than even made it into the book. Yeah. Well, so there's this book, which did so well, it became a bestseller. Then, then there's a second book, which I have not read oh, a man. second book called, I think this is how you're going to die or something like that. And it's just another anthology of just even more stories, you know, like this. Wow. So, um, if you if you choose after your break to keep on going, you you have you have a lot of <laughs> a lot more you could read. <laughs> that is very good to know. I'm just looking back at my notes to make sure there's nothing that I forgot that I uh, I, I wrote down so many notes for this because I was just getting so into my whole like you know taking down all the notes of like affecting society and technology. Yeah. And, oh my god. You know. <laughs> you know, if I had gotten out a notebook and a pen, I probably would have done that too. I have a really hard time taking digital notes while I'm reading. Yeah. Um, I have, I have a lot of notes, but probably fewer than I would if I 
either was reading a, was reading I read this on my Kindle like if I'd had a physical copy of the book I would probably have been dog-earing it and writing the margins yep. or if I'd gotten out a notebook but like I yeah I I don't have like manic notes because I was reading I I was reading on my Kindle as well and so what I was doing is I was, I was just highlighting sentences and paragraphs and with the uh, the little the, uh, the little underline yeah. feature and then later on I went back and like read through those highlights again and I'm just like jotting down like notes like crazy I was like oh my god this and then also this and this links up with that and you know anyway um yeah I don't, I don't have anything else in my notes except for just like this uh one one of the many details which I thought was um just wonderful in, in its own way was in Torn Apart and Devoured by Lions where he's having the conversation with his boss about you know like his boss is trying to tell him hey stop talking about the lions on your phone calls and he, he's just like well I'm not really worried about losing my job I have to fund my African safari somehow <laughs> which is just so delightful I know I just... he is like so and I love yeah no I love the way that guy has just thrown himself so hard like he's like eating better and more flavorful food so he'll taste better so for he'll taste lions. herb flavored like, yeah <laughs> the lions don't fucking care man like they yeah. eat gazelles I, I think i'm gonna title this episode torn apart and devoured by lions because that's that's just such a it's not my favorite out of the stories but i feel like that one is such a standout in the in oh yeah the collection here well um, and he's just like a fun character that's yeah. just so well drawn and uh, you you dive right into him in a way you don't with all of the others yeah so speaking of diving in, next week we are going to put one of your friends uh, through the paces yes. into something that you and I are very much already immersed in. Yes, we are. I have uh, peer pressured and badgered and otherwise uh, convinced um, <laughs> my dear friend Riley to begin watching The West Wing. Uh, so actually I badgered her into starting to watch The West Wing and then badgered her into ceasing to watch the West Wing so that we could talk about it on the podcast before she watched too much of it. Uh, so yes, that is that is what we'll be doing next week. Um, in the the first part of a of a two two part all weekend American political, political extravaganza. Yeah. So in case you've been living under a rock, uh, we're a week and a half away from election day in <laughs> the United States, and boy, this is. It's been a long time coming. Uh, so yeah. To... So in case you just really like, just didn't feel that you were inundated enough with with politics and with the American electoral system and just generally with civics lessons, um, we're we've we've got we've got some fun for you next weekend, starting with the West Wing. Yeah. So that'll be coming out on Saturday of next yes. week, and then on Sunday we're going to bring in one of my friends to do a another special episode about Hamilton. Talk about so, a civics lesson. I know, right? So anyway, we're going to go do that uh, <laughs> next week. Until then, Emily, where else can we find you on the internet? I am on Twitter at EJ Reports. And I'm on Twitter at HeyHeyESJ. This is Giant Geek vs. Mega Noob being torn apart and devoured by lions. This has been Giant Geek vs. Mega Noob. For more, visit GVNPodcast.com.